Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is Mind Change Monday. Mind Change Monday, and I'm Dr. Lee Warren. So glad and grateful, honored, really, to be with you for another episode of the Dr. Lee Warren Podcast. We're going to do a little self-brain surgery today aimed at helping us change our minds because, as I always tell you, you can't change your life until you change your mind. We had some unbelievable episodes last week. We had Tish Harrison Warren on Friday. If you haven't heard that episode yet, go back and listen to it. Had an incredible conversation about Advent and about lament and about her book, Prayer in the Night, and what to do when life really knocks you out. She's a bereaved parent like Lisa and I are, and just an unbelievable conversation. And then Saturday, probably my favorite self-brain surgery episode of all time. I just want you to go listen to it. It was Um, an incredible look at the sort of neurobiology and biochemistry of what happens in your brain when you change your mind. And and I was trying to address this question from a listener who said, hey, why is it not just a trick? Why, Why am I not being disingenuous when I feel sad or feel anxious and I just tell myself to feel better? Why is that not just a some kind of neuroscience hack. And I went into the biochemistry and the gene regulation aspects of why changing your mind changes your life, why thoughts become things, why the the things you're actively doing are the things that you're getting better at. We did all of that on the episode season nine, episode 48 from Saturday. Thoughts regulate gene expression. Positive thinking is not a trick. That is an important and powerful episode. It's kind of a bookend to Friday's episode, which was a re-release. I'm sorry, Thursday's episode for Throwback Thursday of tricking your brain or changing your mind. We also had Philip Yancey thrown in there for another new conversation with him on Wednesday of last week. We had Dr. Michael Gillen on Monday of last week. We had talk about three home runs of conversations this past week. And I just I hope you had a chance to absorb those episodes. Now, today it's Mind Change Monday, and we're going to do a couple of things that are different. One is we're going to have our first edition of three things I learned from three books I love. I've been promising you this. People have been writing in and say, hey, you recommend so many books. You reference and mention so many books. Do an episode sometime about those books and give us some info about the books that you read. Go a little deeper. So we're going to do that today. Before we do that, though, we're going to do something completely different. Remember the old Monty Python sketch? uh, sketch? And now for something completely different. We're going to do that, um, and we're going to talk about your gut and why your gut and your brain are so intimately connected and what that has to do with your immune system and what it has to do with changing your mind and changing your life and why in the world would Dr. Warren, the brain surgeon, be talking about your gut? Well, we're going to get into that in a few minutes, and we're going to go way back in time to 1993 to a very young, budding biochemistry scientist, medical student, Dr. Warren, in the lab and what that has to do with today, and I think it'll be fun. We're even going to give you my very first commercial on the podcast of all time, and there's a very specific reason why I'm going to do that for you. But today's Mind Change Monday, and we're going to get after it in just a minute. But before we do any of those things, my friend, I have one question for you. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. Are you ready to change your life? Well, this is the place, Self-Brain Surgery School. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and this is where we go deep into how we're wired, take control of our thinking, and find real hope. This is where we learn to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. This is where we leave the past behind and transform our minds. This is where we start today. Are you ready? This is your podcast. This is your place. This is your time, my friend. Let's get after it. 
Mm-hmm. All right, you ready to get after it? So, as I've gotten older, now I'm only 54, I'm not Father Time or anything, but as I've gotten older, I've recognized that not only me, but my patients and even my family members who are my age or older are getting sick a little bit more often. And I've been concerned about this. We're getting a few more colds, a little bit more sensitive to COVID, getting the flu more often. And I've just noticed that. And I've been paying attention, and the research is clear. Our population in the United States and really all over the Western world is getting less healthy as time goes by. We're, we're getting more prone to illness. And why is that? Well, it has a lot to do with our diet. It has a lot to do with our gut. It has a lot to do with the immune system modulation that you may not understand or know that your immune system is heavily involved with the bacteria called the microbiome, the, the system and organization of billions of bacteria in your gut called the microbiome, the gut microbiome has a tremendous amount to do with your immune system health, okay? This is a a symbiotic relationship with the bacteria in your gut that that are very important in how healthy you are. And our diet, the things we eat and drink and the way that we've lived our lives is affecting that, and it's changing over time, not for our benefit. And in medicine, we keep inventing drugs to try to modulate it, antibiotics and anti-acids and all kinds of different things to try to deal with the sicknesses that we get. But we've done a poor job, in Western medicine at least, in addressing the root problem, which is the the way that our diet is affecting our gut microbiome. Of course, if you pay attention to popular books, there's a book every year that comes out. Somebody writes a book, some doctor somewhere writes a book with a plan for getting your gut going and, you know, wheat belly and wheat brain and then the gut microbiome and all these books. And they're important and they're all picking at one part of the problem. But I want to introduce you today to something that is really was really quite surprising to me. I was updating my CV not long ago. CV is, the, of course, the medical professionals and academics fancy word for resume, but the CV curriculum vitae that we have to, every time we redo our credentials or, or apply for credentials at a new hospital or re-up our medical malpractice insurance or any of that, we have to provide a copy of our CV. And I was doing some consulting work for a company, and they needed a copy of my CV, and I realized I hadn't updated it in a year or so. So I went and updated it. And in the course of reviewing my CV, I always go down memory lane because at the end of it, there's a long list of publications and all the things I've written and all the scientific articles I've done and all the book chapters and the, and the, the medical work that I've done is all listed there, all the talks I've given all over the world and everything. And I remembered fondly a time in my life in the early 90s and mid-90s when I was working. I was a biochemistry student at college at the Oklahoma Christian University. And at the same time, I was working at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation in the lab of Dr. John Harley, who's a rheumatologist, a well-known immunologist that unlocked some of the big secrets in the lupus disease, the disease called lupus and other autoimmune diseases. And his colleague, Hal Schofield, who was my direct mentor, and Hal's uh, research was all about something called HLA-B27 and its impact on a disease called ankylosing spondylitis, which is an autoimmune disease that causes spine arthritis arthritis and joint arthritis and all kinds of other problems. And Hal's research interest was in how bacterial infections or bacteria in your body could potentially be 
part of what the problem is in triggering the autoimmune response that leads to these arthritic diseases like HLA, like ankylosing spondylitis and even ulcerative colitis. And there's another one in the eye called anterior uveitis that all seem to be related to mutations in the HLA B27 gene. So I was working in his lab and my job was to synthesize proteins and attach them to these trays where we could run tests of blood samples against these proteins to see if any of them acted as an antigen, which is the trigger for an immune response. And we could try to then begin to understand how people were getting rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and ankylosing spondylitis and anterior uveitis and ulcerative colitis and all these diseases that seem to have something to do with HLA B27. Well, what in the world is an HLA? HLA stands for human leukocyte antigen, okay? I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Promise. HLA stands for human leukocyte antigen, and it's this complex of genes on chromosome 6 in humans that encode cell surface proteins, okay, these molecules that get attached to the surface of cells, and those cell surface proteins are responsible for regulation of the immune system, okay? The HLA system is also sometimes called the major histocompatibility complex, so that's found in every animal's animal. But in humans, it's called human leukocyte antigen. And this actually, the science of human leukocyte antigens came out of the research around organ transplantation. Because when they first started trying to transplant organs in people, they realized that what they were finding is that organs get rejected. Like you take a kidney out of one person, give it to another person. If they don't match up in all kinds of different immunological markers, then the organ gets rejected. And you can kill the patient or the organ dies and you haven't done anybody any good. So in the science of trying to figure out how they could transplant organs successfully, they discovered these antigens, these these biological markers on cell surfaces that seemed to code for the triggering of the immune responses that led to the rejection of those organs. And that whole science led to the discovery of what now is known as HLA, the human leukocyte antigen complexes on chromosome 6. And that all turns out to be incredibly important in the autoimmune disease families, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis, all those kinds of diseases, including ankylosing spondylitis. Now, fast forward 30 years, and I'm a practicing neurosurgeon, and guess what I sometimes or frequently see in my office? Something called spondyloarthropathy, which is an arthritic degeneration of the spine, sometimes caused by ankylosing spondylitis, but it also causes facet joint arthritis and sacroiliac joint arthritis and degenerative disc disease and all kinds of other problems that I see in my practice all the time. So long story short to say, I was updating my CV and I remember these two papers that I wrote with Hal Schofield way back in the day, 1993 in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which was a huge huge thing for me academically. The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences is a huge journal, a famous journal, and that paper led to, in 1995, another paper in The Lancet, which is a huge, again, huge honor to be published in The Lancet. And those two papers, I kid you not, I'm certain, were the most important contributing factors to me being selected by my residency program to get into training. It set me apart from other candidates. I went to a small school that nobody had ever heard of. A lot of the other applicants had gone to Harvard and Yale and Penn and Duke and Vanderbilt and Stanford, and here I am coming out of Oklahoma Christian University, right? 
I'm kind of a nobody from a small school, state school, as my colleague used to call me. I went to medical school at a state school, the University of Oklahoma, not a big famous institution. But I had a differentiator on my CV. I had a paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science as one of the listed authors. I had a paper in the Lancet. Okay, And every time I interviewed for one of those programs, somewhere to be a neurosurgeon, they brought it up. Hey, I see that you published in PNAS and in the Lancet. Tell us about your work. And I told them how I synthesized these proteins and did what Dr. Schofield asked me to and helped run the assays to identify antibodies that were important in the triggering of the immune responses that could potentially have led to ankylosing spondylitis and these other spondyloarthropathies. Okay? I had no idea back then that this work would still be relevant in 2023. The first paper, super nerdy, okay, was called An Hypothesis for the HLA-B27 Immune Dysregulation in Spondylarthropathy. Crazy name, right? That paper was all about just an idea, a concept, an hypothesis, if you will, for what might be causing the immune problem that leads to these autoimmune arthritises like ankylosing spondylitis. And we realized, as we investigated and looked at the data, that there are some bacteria in your gut that bind little snippets of their DNA onto these HLA-B27 molecules that turn out to trigger antibodies that could turn out to trigger these diseases. That was the, the idea way back in 1993. Now, two years later in The Lancet, we published another paper, HLA-B27 binding a peptide from its own sequence and similar peptides from bacteria, implications for spondyloarthropathies. And what we found there is that little pieces of the HLA-B27 molecule had similar amino acid sequences, similar genetic coding, if you will, to similar sequences in bacteria, specifically one called L-R-R-Y-L-E-N-G-K, if you want to hear the actual nerdy B27 sequence that looks just like the same sequence on a bacteria that turns out in your gut and that tricking of the immune system to think that something healthy is not healthy or something unhealthy is healthy can actually turn out to be an unappreciated mechanism of how autoimmune diseases might start. Okay, So that those two papers led directly to me getting into my residency program without any doubt. Okay, Then I didn't think about them again for the next almost 30 years, okay? I just did the work, went to school, started my surgical training, got in my surgical practice, went to war, did all the things that we talk about, went through massive things and all of that. And here I am, almost 30 years later, recognizing, as I am now a writer, a podcaster, practitioner of neurosurgery, and guy who's getting into his 50s, recognizing that we're not as healthy as we used to be. Our society isn't as healthy as it used to be. The Western medicine isn't answering all the problems that are showing up in our bodies. And it's just crystal clear that we're not as healthy as we ought to be, and something's going on. Well, what might be going on is that our choices of what we're putting in our bodies aren't actually helping our gut microbiome. Now, this episode's not going to be all about that. I just wanted to give you this beginning of an understanding of something. There's an incredible book called The Mind-Gut Connection the mind-gut connection, and that book is all about this idea that your gut and your brain are connected, and it's absolutely true from medical science. Dr. Emerson Meyer wrote this book. It was published by HarperCollins. It's, it's a tremendous look at the mind-gut connection, 
But he says something right in the very beginning of the book that I want to read to you now, just to give you this context. Chapter one of that book, The Mind-Gut Connection, is called The Mind-Body Connection is Real. And he says this, over the past 40 to 50 years, something fundamental has gone wrong with our health, and the old model no longer seems to be able to provide an explanation or a solution of how to fix the problems. What's happening can no longer be easily explained simply by a single malfunctioning organ or gene. Instead, we are beginning to realize that the complex regulatory mechanisms that help our bodies and brains adapt to our rapidly changing environment are in turn being impacted by our changing lifestyles. These mechanisms do not operate independently, but as parts of a whole. They regulate our food intake, metabolism, body weight, our immune system, and the development and health of our brains. We are just beginning to realize that the gut, the microbes living in it, the gut microbiota, and the signaling molecules that they produce from their vast number of genes, the microbiome, constitute one of the major components of these regulatory systems. Let me break that down for you. We're just now figuring out in Western medicine that the bacteria in our gut and all of the genetic material that they have is recognized and interacted with by our own immune systems, and that begins to affect our health over time, either positively or negatively. And the long story short of that is, I realized that if your brain is the supercomputer that we talk about it all the time, your gut, my friend, your stomach, and your intestinal system is the USB port where you can stick a thumb drive in. And every time you eat something or drink something or digest something, you are putting information, toxins, nutrition, nutrients, vitamins, minerals, bacteria, viruses. You're giving access to the inside of your whole system by what goes into your gut. Okay, now my overarching mission on my podcast, we say it every time you hear an episode, is that I'm here to help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. Become healthier, feel better, and be happier, right? Now we talk about a lot of that in the context of how to manage trauma and tragedy and other massive things and these hard things that we go through in life, right? But I'm going to tell you that if your body isn't healthy, isn't physically healthy, you will have a hard time getting your brain working better for you. And so it's important that we always try to treat our bodies like a temple, like, like the Bible says. It's our living essential act of worship. So it's important to understand that the better we are on the health side, the better we are on the mental health side, the better able and more resilient we will become in our overall quest to become healthier and feel better and be happier, to overcome massive things, to find hope and meaning and purpose in our lives again. If our bodies are working better, then we'll be better overall, right? So that's just a big picture. Well, something fascinating happened. I was doing a little bit of reading and research about the gut microbiome and about all these diseases and disorders that come from alterations in our immune system, and guess what I found? My two papers from 1993 and 1995 are being cited in 2021, 22, and 23 in other people's research that's still happening now, and they've come a long way of understanding what this gut microbiome has to do with arthritis and autoimmune diseases and even central nervous system health. And my research way back in the day is still relevant. Why? Because what we've 
under what we've proven now is what we thought way back then, that actually what you put in your body gets chopped up and recognized and presented to your immune system as either helpful or harmful. And if it's recognized as harmful, it triggers immune responses that make antibodies that then can't tell the difference between those protein sequences on bacteria that ought not to be there and similar ones in the gene sequences of molecules that should be there. That's why organs get rejected. It's why joints become arthritic and it has everything to do with why your brain doesn't work well when your immune system isn't working well. Okay. That's the tip of the iceberg of some things that we'll talk about in coming months. But in the context of all that, I want to tell you, I told you at the start of this episode, I recognize that we weren't as healthy as we ought to be. We're getting sick more often. We're getting COVID and we're getting the flu and we're not feeling well. We have a stomach ache frequently and it has everything to do with our diet. And I started looking into ways that we could make that better. I'm talking we, meaning me and my family and my own personal life and my patients. And of course, Lisa, as always, way ahead of me, started discovering that she was using products in our home that we hadn't talked about. And one of those products is from a company called Peak Life, P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E, their website, Peak Life. And Peak makes a whole bunch of things that you can drink teas, elixirs, things that you can shake up into cold beverages and have like a tea or a cocktail in the evening without alcohol in it. Or you can have them hot in the morning, like a hot tea. You can mix them up in other substances and you can drink them and they have all kinds of benefits. She was using them for hair, skin and nail support, immune support, digestive support, and they make your skin look better. And I started researching what she was drinking and I realized that it has a big immune system boost. And so I started drinking it too. Now it's part of what I do every morning is my little cocktail that I make after I drink coffee, which I'm trying to get myself off of or at least less dependent on. I drink this shake and I make it full of athletic greens, which is a green drink that has all your probiotic and prebiotic and vitamins and minerals. We'll talk about that later. And another product called Armra, which is a colostrum product that has to do with lining your gut with immune barriers like you had when you were a child that makes you healthier. And then Peak, and Peak has all kinds of different products, and I'm going to just give you one today. If you are interested in getting into this idea that what you put in your gut helps your brain be healthier, and we're all about getting brain health, then you can recognize that when wintertime comes, everybody gets a cold. And when people start coming over to your house or you start going over to their house for Thanksgiving or Christmas and have all these gatherings with people who are sneezing and coughing and all of that, you want to be the one who doesn't get sick, and maybe you want to give yourself a little leg up on protecting yourself. Well, Peak has this group of elixirs that are designed to boost your immune system and your gut health around the holidays and the wintertime. They call it the winter defense pouch, and they'll send you a free pouch of this stuff that's got four different sachets or little little packets of immune-supporting, gut-modulating elixirs if you spend $150 on their products. So I'm going to give you a link in the show notes if you're interested in checking this out. I know that's a lot of money, but if you think about what we're doing every day, are we drinking soda, are we drinking alcohol, are we drinking coffee, are we putting stuff into our bodies all day? Yes, most of us are. And if you add all that up over the course of a month, how much are you spending on things that go into your gut that give you a stomachache or raise your blood pressure or give you diarrhea or don't make you healthier? And you could choose to put something in there that actually does help you. Now, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the Peak products. You can check it out or not, but if you do, we'll get a little commission on that, which will offset the cost of the podcast. That'll help us, but it'll help you more. So check it out. In the show notes, there's a link. Check it out. Now, we're going to pivot. 
I just thought it was fascinating that this important work and research that's coming out now of how important the gut microbiome is to brain health. And there's actually some papers coming out now that have to do with central nervous system disorders like multiple sclerosis, glioblastoma, other types of brain cancer. And there's some implications that the gut microbiome may be involved in the triggering of even central nervous system diseases. So there's more to this story, and we're just now starting to understand it in Western medicine. But I'm telling you that this is the tip of the iceberg on something very important that will have a lot to do with how we can become healthier and feel better and be happier over time. And I'm super geeking out about it because my work from way back in the day, 30 years ago, is still being talked about in those circles that have to do with the gut microbiome, spondyloarthropathies, and brain health. How cool is that, right? That work you did a long time ago still is relevant today. That's why we should always do our best, by the way, because everything you do in your life has a long train to it, a long trail to it, and you never know how something's going to turn out to be important later that you do today. So don't give up. Remember, we serve a God that has a long narrative arc of a story that he's telling with your life, and you can't always see how it plays out. But sometimes you get a little peek at it, and I got that with finding out that my research from a long time ago was still relevant. And I told you we're going to talk about a little bit about books today. We're going to get into that now. Three things I learned from three books I love. The first one is Mark Rogep's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. We've talked about it before. But this is the book that taught me the most about how to pray when you're hurting. Okay? Now, it's no secret. I've told you I came from an evangelical tradition where we basically prayer was what you made of it. Like you, you're just supposed to know what to say to God. And I'm telling you, when you lose a son or something really devastating happens in your life, you don't know what to say. It's a gut punch, and you don't have any words. Well, it turns out that the church has given us words all the way back to the garden. The the book of Psalms, a third of them are prayers that Mark Rogap helped me recognize are called laments. These are prayers where somebody's hurting, and they just say to God, God, this really hurts, and I don't know what to say right now. And it's okay. We're kind of raised to think that you're not supposed to tell God when you're upset or when you're mad or when you're scared or when you're hurting, that you're supposed to figure it out on your own and bootstrap it. That's kind of how I was raised, not by my parents, but by the church at large. So Mark Rogap's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, helped me to understand and unlock the idea that God wants us to shake our fist at him. At least we're talking to him. Like you want your kids, even if they're upset, you want them talking to you and not the drug dealer on the corner, right? You want them to talk to you and not the guy on the video game that, that they're chatting with. You want them to talk to you when they're hurting. You're glad when they do, even if what they're talking to you about is a little painful sometimes. And that's what lament prayers do for us, okay? So Mark Rogap's book, three things I picked up from him. Number one, suffering creates self-absorption, this this idea that our natural bias is to individualize suffering, that something happens to the world around us, and we find a way to say, why has this always happened to me? And so it's important to recognize that when you're hurting, you're not the only one that's ever hurt like that. You're not the only one that's hurting now. You're not the only one that's going through something hard. And why am I saying that? Not to minimize your pain, but to help you see, as I talk about in my book, Hope is the First Dose, that suffering is extraordinary individually, but it's an ordinary part of the human experience. And that helps you not be overwhelmed by it. That recognizing that you're not the only one suffering doesn't diminish your pain, but it helps you to see that God is not single-handedly stomping on your life. 
that this is something that happens to people. And the hope comes in the fact that he has promised to get down into that painful story with us and help us navigate it. So our natural bias is to individualize suffering. I got that from Mark Rogap. The other thing is, what is lament? Lament is a prayer offered in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer offered in pain that leads to trust. If I'm scared and I'm hurting and I'm I'm too nervous to even go to my dad about it, I'm, I'm afraid, but I finally do. I say, Dad, I've got this big problem and I don't know what to do. And he says, oh, I can help you with that. And he helps me with it and it gets better. And then I end up trusting my dad more. So the next time I hurt or the, my mom or my, my sister or whoever, my pastor, whoever I brought it to, the next time I'm less hesitant to bring them something that's hard because I trust them more. That's what lament does with your relationship with God, okay? It's a prayer offered in pain. You're scared. You don't know what to do. You're not sure where to turn, but you give it to God anyway, and somehow he helps you navigate it. And then the next time you're hurting, because guess what? Massive things don't just happen once. They happen more than once, right? Because we live in a world full of pain. So God says, hey, you trusted me with that. I'm going to change your brain a little bit so it'll be more wired to trust me more easily next time. And before you know it, those hard things start to become more easily navigatable because you know where to turn when life gets hard. And you don't hesitate as long. And you go faster to the one who can help you. A prayer offered in pain that leads to trust. And the last one, I completely stole this line from Mark Rogap, is hope springs from truth rehearsed. Hope springs from truth rehearsed, okay? I say that all the time. If you're hopeless and you're worried and you're scared, you get you some prehab in your heart and you fall back on some things that you've repped a bunch of times before. Wait a minute. I know what God's going to do here. I know he's done this before. I know he helped me get through this. I know it's going to be okay. That's how you find hope. That's how you manufacture hope when you're hurting. Hope springs from truth rehearsed, okay? So that's three things I learned from Mark Rogep's book. I'm going to sprinkle two more of those into episodes during the course of this week. The next book will be Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. And the last one this week will be Happiness by Randy Alcorn. I've got three things I learned from each of those two books. So this week, over the course of the episodes, you're going to get three things I learned from three books I loved, or three books that I love in the present tense. And the first one is Mark Rogep's book, Dark Clouds, deep mercy. Listen, friend, we've talked a lot about weird stuff today. The gut microbiome, how changing what you put in your gut actually helps what changes, actually helps your immune system get stronger, right? And I covered all that ground just to say this. I want you to recognize that you can change your mind and that will change the expression of proteins and and upregulation and downregulation of genes in your body. And we've talked about that, how thoughts become things. But there's an input source that starts way down in your gut and what you put in your mouth that turns into the, the building blocks of those proteins and genes that get transcribed. And all the stuff that your brain can do and trigger in your body, you've got to have a good starting point, right? You've got to have a good base of materials to use for all that construction. And so if you want to become healthier and feel better and be happier, start thinking a little bit more critically about what you put into that system because everything you put in your gut will affect the health of your gut microbiome and that will turn into healthier outcomes or less healthy outcomes. You'll feel better or you'll feel worse. 
And I just want you to start paying attention this week. Just just pay attention. Change what you eat for a couple of hours. Like something, if you normally would reach for a donut, don't reach for a donut instead. Choose something a little bit healthier. And pay attention to how you feel in the hours and, and the next day. Just to pay a little attention. Do a little research just for yourself. I'm not putting guilt on you. I'm not saying change your whole life and everything that's going on with you is because of what you eat. I'm not saying that at all. It's not true. I'm saying do a little research with your own body and see how the machine that God made responds to different choices that you make. Okay? So maybe we can stop paying tomorrow taxes based on our dietary choices. Maybe we can start feeling better tomorrow and have a little leg up on the next day because we've been a little bit kinder to our gut and helped our immune system be a little bit healthier. Maybe we chose to drink some tea instead of another glass of wine. Maybe we chose to put something healthy in there instead of something that's going to hurt us. And I would just suggest if you routinely eat something that the next thing you do is grab the Pepsid, then maybe you could change what you eat and you won't need the Pepsid. Okay? Just think about that. The last thing I'll say is this. I hear from a lot of people about weight loss and how they struggle with diet and they have a hard time getting the weight off. And the the number one mind shift that I want you to make is that anybody who is struggling to lose weight, regardless of your genetics, regardless of what it is that you're eating or not eating, regardless of what you may have in your family history, if you're struggling to lose weight, all those people have one thing in common, and that is that they are in a calorie surplus state. Okay, If you're losing weight, you're in a calorie deficit state. And if you're gaining weight, you're in a calorie surplus state. So all the other things being true, if you're having trouble losing weight, it's because at the, at the end of the day, it's because you're taking in more calories than your body is burning. And so you will never get weight loss going in the right direction until you get into a calorie deficit state. Okay, And there's way more to it than that. But the bottom line is true. If you're intaking more than you're burning, you're going to gain weight. And if you're intaking less than you're burning, you're going to lose weight. And so all the everything else that can be said about diet and exercise and genetics and diabetes and all the other things, you cannot lose weight if you're adding more calories than you're burning off. And so start thinking critically about that as we start looking at this overarching goal of becoming healthier and feeling better and being happier in all aspects of our lives, which is really what New Thing November is about, right? It's all the stuff that I've done up to this point, what got me here won't get me there if there is where I want to find more hope and the belief that my life can really look different than it has in the past. If, if, if there is something different than here, then what got me here won't get me there. And if I'm stuck then I've got to make some changes in order to see any progress, right? So I just want you to start thinking about these different things. We're not talking about guilt. We're not talking about shame. We're not talking about any of that stuff. We're talking about what can I do today with the reality of understanding how my body is put together so that I can be be grateful for the ways in which I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I can recognize that some of the choices that have led me to this place where I'm saying, you know what, it's time. It's time to make some changes that some of those choices will not help me in the place that I want to get to. And so when I want to become healthier and feel better and be happier, I've got to draw a line and say the things I've done that got me to this place, have to. Le- I've got to leave some of those things behind and go to the next place. And that's going to require some decisions and some changes. And that's what we're all about. And it's Mind to Change Monday. So what better day? than to say, you know what, I'm going to look critically today at what I put into my body, what I put into my mind, 
I'm going to look at those places where I've got USB ports that I'm allowing the, the world to stick stuff in information or dietary choices or toxins or anything else that might be hindering my ability to get there from here. Because remember, hope is the belief that you can get there from here. And all I want you to do, my friend, is change your mind so you can change your life, so you can become healthier and feel better and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Hope is the First Dose. It's a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. It's available everywhere books are sold, and I narrated the audiobooks. Hey, the theme music for the show is Get Up by my friend Tommy Walker, available for free at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. They are supplying worship resources for worshipers all over the world to worship the Most High God. And if you're interested in learning more, check out TommyWalkerMinistries.org. If you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, and go to my website and sign up for the newsletter, Self Brain Surgery, every Sunday since 2014, helping people in all 50 states and 60-plus countries around the world. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'll talk to you soon. Remember, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today.